Wow, what a great theme song. <laughs> Harmonies are a little wonky. Wow, come on. <laughs> the second the second layer isn't quite right. I had to re-record it, but but of course we are listening to the electric the wickedly talented. <laughs> That's the same. Save it for episode one hundred. <laughs> Why? Oh, because of the wickedly talented one hundredth episode. Right. Episode eleven of as we call it in-house, GTR. Mm. I hope we don't get sued by Nissan. <laughs> Do they have G- a GTR? I believe so. I, 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 it feels like a real Fast and Furious car. I feel like mm. Brian O'Connor drives a Nissan GTR in the in the Fast and the Furious, mm-hmm. which is number four. One. One. No, that's you're thinking of Fast and Furious. Right. In the the outhouse, they call it uh, Got the Runs. What? He said in in house we call it GTR, but in the outhouse they call it Got the Runs. I guess, yeah. Bit of is potty we, humor. Are we in there? The potty humor. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, if you hear any loud banging noises, it's apparently because my upstairs neighbors are uh working out or having sex. <laughs> loud banging noises indeed. Never been clarified. But we are, of course, on episode 11, and there's a nice bit of synergy here because we are beginning with issue 11 of Brian K. Vaughan's seminal 2000-ish series, Swamp Thing. Yes, 2000 to 2001. So, okay, so here was a question I had while reading this. Were any of these comics post-9-11? No, right? Yes. Uh, Yes. Because I think the last one is cover dated December 2001. Yeah, definitely not written. Well, hmm. Now I'm not sure. The last issue came out in October 2001. Mm. Must have been a little overshadowed. (laughs) One one imagines. So definitely all written before 9-11. But what the number 20 came out after 9-11. Interesting. This does really have some pre-9-11 vibes, I will say. (laughs) Are you referring to the part where they talk about how easy it will be to leave the country without a passport? Uh, just all of it. Just the general vibe. <laughs> people are people. They're, they're pretty cavalier with, <laughs> with their assaulting acts. a presidential candidate. <laughs> yes, their acts of terror and things of that nature. Um, Indeed. So do we do we want to just jump right? I do. I do have a just what is going on here, but mainly only because the cover of issue eleven is is a lot yeah glenn fabry uh a renowned cover artist did the covers for the whole run of preacher i think generally very well loved by fans the only word i can summon to describe this cover is grotesque uh (laughs) like every facet of it including the uh, ostensibly alive and healthy person (laughs) that appears on it yes she her musculature is it's a lot She's certainly the most 40-year-old looking 17-year-old I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tefe looks like the bride of Frankenstein. Yes. Relaxed Intentionally question mark? I guess. It's not, it definitely like, is evoking, well, I mean, there's like rotting corpses on it. So obviously it's evoking a horror vibe, but. Yeah, I guess so. But there's not really a connection between bride of Frankenstein and zombies, but. There's not really a company or a, a relationship between zombies and Swamp Thing, and I'm pretty sure no zombies in this issue. 
No, there are zombies in this issue. There are zombies in this issue? Yeah. This is the issue oh, where right. she... Oh, right. She, like, raises the, the yeah, corpses. Yeah, she does her flesh bending. Right. I believe this is also the last issue for uh, the original artist, Roger Peterson, right? Yes. You tell me. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, um, the, I will say, a bit of a preview. The art in subsequent issues, <laughs> I'm not You're not a fan of sure uh, Kim and Coley? It's just... It's certainly a style. <laughs> it certainly is. But let's let's get into this because it's kind of funny that we sort of ended off last episode by talking about like how many different sort of hanging threads there are and how sort of scattershot everything is. Mm-hmm. And then we immediately launch into a seven issue <laughs> or eight issue story arc mm-hmm. that is all connected and basically bring, <laughs> is, serves to bring all of the disparate plot threads together yeah although i will say some of the plot threads uh are wrapped up in what feels like a hurry oh you think so <laughs> i do um but yeah so so this is red harvest which take it's i it's it is issue 18 i believe that we get the ostensibly the conclusion basically issue 17 is where it ends and then we, there's well, sort of an epilogue yeah i i'm a little confused by the conclusion because the obviously the whole storyline introduces Heather uh, Strand, the daughter of the senator who is a presidential candidate who Tefe thinks is like being held against her will or, in, you know, resonates with her in some way. But her, like the ending doesn't really resolve her story. Well, maybe I mean, I'm maybe I'm kind of getting ahead of things. It, it it resolves it in so far as they say she was doing it for attention. Yeah, but also like the, I mean, yeah, we could we'll talk about it maybe when we get there. But it ultimately is revealed that the things that she was saying about her dad, which have been believed up to that point by pretty much everybody, seemingly including her, to be lies that she's making up to draw negative attention to him because what she's concealing is that in fact she was molested by him at the end we learn in fact that the molestation was the thing that she made up because it was more believable than (laughs) that the things she was saying were actually true but then like so he's like strand is just still out there plotting to destroy the world uh yeah it's weird so it's it's not even only that like it's not the, the like he is a cross dresser and he's a fascist is like that's partly true because mm-hmm. he isn't say like or i mean like I, that is we are meant to believe covering up the fact that he is like actually just like hell-bent on destroying all human life basically right which is still true kind of so yes. which so basically <laughs> everything was true except that she was sexually assaulted as a child i guess so but also like pilot guesses that that's the case based only on like his gut instinct and we yeah. are meant to take him as at face value I, I don't think the treatment of uh victims of uh childhood sexual abuse is uh true to life shall we say (laughs) i would agree with that we start with a clutch walter Mitty reference (laughs) yeah (laughs) so have you read the secret life of walter Mitty? of course not it's like three pages long i don't like so i read it for a class once and it's a good story i don't get how people read it and were like this is a movie and i also i guess i'm just not aware of like how much it permeated popular culture that people can name drop Walter Mitty and in 2000 pre-movie and know exactly what you're talking about or like get the reference. That seems like a real like 
Bartleby the Scrivener level of reference. <laughs> but short stories aside, uh, so basically at the start of this, we are, yes, we are sort of more formally, we haven't really met Heather, Heather Strand before this, have we? No. She, so she was on the news. They like right. saw her on the news and Tefe was like, let's, let's look up <laughs> time to get our wheels on. We're off to Washington to unclear what exactly yes and we okay so let's let's just like really use our brains here and try it so she empathizes with heather strand because she sort of she also has a tortured relationship with her father and sees him as sort of a villain in her life right and he so what's he he wanted to destroy the world at one point that was, yeah so this is unclear to me whether he's referencing a previous run or if that's something that we're supposed to have understood from like the Tefe backstory that we've gotten. Oh, because I did not take that at all from the backstory that we're supposed to be. Yeah, like when she talks about how he became a god, I don't maybe that's maybe that's in the Veach run and I'm just forgetting it, or maybe it's like from a later on run that I just haven't read. But yeah, I, I wasn't sure whether that was a reference to something that was previously established because as we discussed in the last episode a shockingly continuity heavy book <laughs> yeah I, I i wasn't sure exactly where that came from yeah i mean i guess we, there's that one scene where we see him murder the fan boat <laughs> the mad max fan boat driver <laughs> yes except he doesn't murder him because he's uh, shocked and disturbed by the fact that she was about to murder his kid right but you know he would have murdered <laughs> Yes. Well, so I think there's that. And then there's also the reveal that we get towards the end that they have like a, they both have like a repressed memory of each other from when Strand was holding Tefe captive as like a much younger girl. Right. Yes. Which doesn't really have anything to do with anything. I feel like as it turns out, I I think it's just like seeding the reveal that Strand is Madam Director. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what that was supposed to mean? I think so. I think you're right. But I like I wasn't clocking any of like, I was just like, <laughs> okay, here we're going along. And it was it was it introduced the idea that Strand was connected to the DDI in some capacity so that the ultimate reveal that the director of the DDI who up to that point, we've known as Madam Director, is in fact, uh, cross dressing mascara tear running. <laughs> Senator oh, Strand. wow. I, yeah, I did not. I, I I should have put it together, but I suppose my brain actively resisted it. Um, <laughs> I do here. I have it written down as the DIA, <laughs> which would be funny. Uh, uh, that yes, would be so, funny. So the essential overarching idea of this plotline is that they rescue Heather Strand. Mm -hmm. Who has a sign up in her room that says Heather's. <laughs> I'm not well, sure if I like that or not. Is it from the movie? I, I think it's a movie reference, but in the panel that I'm looking at, it's literally, it's like a street sign almost just hanging above oh, her door frame. It is, isn't it? <laughs> they rescue her and their overall goal is to, is they basically agree to assassinate presidential Senator Strand. Yes. For, for then, varying reasons. So Tefe believes the story that he wants to destroy all human life and is like still kind of unclear how she feels about that prospect but is like well if anyone's gonna do it i'm gonna do it not this guy <laughs> apparently right so she's like i'm down let's kill him barnabas is sort of along for the ride because he's like well 
if Tefe says we're going to do it, then we're going to do it. And Pilot is along for the ride because he, uh, at this point, has we're led to believe deduced but in fact it turns out just assumed that he has been sexually assaulting his daughter and he's like eh, maybe he's not going to destroy the world but i'm down with killing him for that right and then at the same time all of these different outsiders who have sort of been we've been f- tracking throughout this whole time are all start to sort of converge here so you have the the dia <laughs> the ddi uh, yeah agent it, romero of the ddi Yes, Agent Romero, who has been running around slitting throats. Yeah. We see her at the start of this issue. She meets with Georgie. Yes. But, like, it's like, if you're so wantonly killing people, like, it's it's insane how, want- how wanton they are. It like, is, yeah. She just, she slashes their throats <laughs> with knives. And then just, like, I guess they have cleaners, but mostly they, she just leaves. And why wouldn't you just kill anyone who has come into any contact with her? Like, why would you spare Georgie? Yeah. And she does later claim that she killed Georgie, which unclear if that's true or not. I was a little surprised that she didn't just kill her and her dad just just because yeah. she was mad at them. She definitely uh, is pretty liberal with the, with the old knife. So, yes, there's something almost quaint. And again, a little a little pre 9-11 that the best way the government can think of to like silence people is just to slit their throats. <laughs> uh, yeah, Romero, quite a quite a character. Yeah, she defining is really... trait. She wears ugly ties. Defi- <laughs> defining traits. She slashes people's throats and <laughs> says offensive things about them. But yeah, so it's it's her. The USDA agents, Agent Orange, Todd Orange, <laughs> not, not his name, but yes, Kilroy and Agent Orange are on their own separate thing, trying not to involve the DDI. And then Kudzu, who is like this avatar of the green slash like the the greens like assassin on retainer. Yes, the plant, the plant samurai who we have seen in previous issues and who is like following the USDA agents to find their way or like to find its way or his way to tefe Uh, is that everybody (laughs) i guess i guess ostensibly like the 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 u.s government at large yeah is on the lookout for heather yeah and then and then there's tefe's group which is her and barnabas and pilot and now heather Mm -hmm. who she face bends (laughs) yes Who, (laughs) who she goes full sculptor on Yes, she as you, as you referenced with no context, David Smith's her. <laughs> Expecting me to remember that, but yes, and we so yes, they basically kidnap her. She does some zombie bending and raises a bunch of skeletons from their graves. Mm-hmm. Agent Romero slits some throats, and I there I, I was going to. I, it's very hard for me to determine what is meant to be a reference and what is just like a thing. But the the two gravestones, there's a, there's a, a panel where it's Barnabas and Pilate standing behind gravestones. One says Sidney Bichette, 1897 to 1959, mm-hmm. a real swinger. So he's like the father of like swing jazz. Okay. <laughs> and Frank Stokes, 1888 to 1955, It Won't Be Long. Uh, a, like, seminal Memphis blues man who has a song called... Uh, it Won't Be Long? No, it's longer than that, but it includes It Won't Be Long in the title for sure. Well, <laughs> good bits. Uh, it's, it Won't Be Long Now. Yep. 
is there the it is. song. Uh, Must cool. have ran out of space on that stone. It's <laughs> true. But yeah, so she zombie bends. The, oh, there's the Secret Service agent who is kind of a... I liked him. Yeah, and he was cool until pushed. he got his throat slit by Andrew <laughs> <Yeah. Barrett. laughs> He got slashed just like the rest of them. Yeah. It's funny how much is time is devoted to his setup like he he ratted on clinton <laughs> is his backstory i forgot about that and then like yeah like like probably the first like 10 pages of this issue are devoted to mostly like him and his him whole and Heather's deal. relationship and yeah yeah he yeah he was the one who revealed that clinton actually did inhale <laughs> right <laughs> uh also we find out that what's his first name strand johnny johnny strand robert question mark i don't think it really matters anyway so big bob strand yeah we find out that his platform is quote a living wage for families and universal health care mm. so <laughs> and this guy was going to get elected we think <laughs> i'm just cruising through the tombstones to see if i can find any others you're real uh you're real uh liam liam neeson hold on you're, you're real you're real liam neeson from what because you're taking a walk among the tombstones <laughs> that classic film well this guy directed the queen oh it's scott frank <laughs> <laughs> you're just googling names on tombstones no this is scott frank is the director of a walk among the tombstones oh, okay. <laughs> and and it was nominated for best adapted screenplay for out of sight and logan oh a truly wild best adapted screenplay nom yeah. Do we do we want to talk about Logan's Oscar Let, candidacy? Let's talk quick? about Logan for a moment. First half, great. Didn't care for most of the uh last like forty minutes personally. Sure. I I don't know if I cared for a lot of it really. I, I mean like it's weird like I mean obviously it needs to get a best adapted screenplay nom because it is ostensibly adapted from other material. Oh yeah. I'm I mean I'm I'm more surprised about that it received Oh, that it received a nomination. Yeah, it's because like it feels like people really like went for it in terms of heaping praise upon it, and now even like it that came out in what 2017, and even now that feels a little bit strange. So is it in the 2018 Oscar year? Yeah, the 2018 ceremony, the 90th Oscars, which was not the same year as Black Panther, or it was. No, Black Panther came out in 2018, so it would have been right. at the 19th of the 2019 Oscars. Yeah, I don't know. It just it was very. Yeah, both both cases, in my opinion, and I know lots of people disagree probably on both counts, but both cases, in my opinion, of a superhero movie being better than superhero movies are supposed, like, quote unquote, supposed to be. Right. And as a result, a, like, big push from people who like superhero movies to be like, recognize us, legitimize us. But people really like Logan. That's the thing. It's like, it's like, I, I'm trying, is it just because, like, it's dark? and like r-rated i i don't know i'm not i'm not really clear i think it just feels uh adult i guess i guess it's not a super strong best adapted screenplay your time for me to pull up what i have is best adapted <laughs> screenplay um but yes call me by your name wins disaster artist which i liked at the time but i'm not sure has aged well logan molly's game great movie uh and mudbound which i have not seen not a super duper strong year. Let me just check my spreadsheet here. So my nominees for oh, I only see. Yeah, see, I only have three adapted screenplay nominations from this year. 
So I have Ryan Johnson winning for The Last Jedi. <laughs> uh, Aaron Sorkin Don't from Always Game. Don't get started on Last Jedi. <laughs> yes, I, I hate, I loathe, I was loath to bring it up. Um, I have Aaron Sorkin from Always Game and then Hampton Fancher and Michael Green for Blade Runner 2049. So if you have like a sequel or like a reboot sequel, are you just automatically an adapted screenplay? Yes, a sequel is always adapted from the, pre- from from the, the preceding movie. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, Empire Strikes Back also would have been... Yes. Uh, huh. Interesting. I don't know that uh, I think that's a good rule, but so be it. Well, it helped uh, Paddington 2 win my Best Adapted Screenplay Award <laughs> in 2018. You see that they've uh, started started work on Paddington 3. I know you're up on your Paddington news. Yes, Hugh Bonneville already said it was in the works, and then it was officially confirmed when Variety reached out to Studio <laughs> Canal. <laughs> but it's not with the same director, right? Yes, that was confirmed a long time ago that Paul okay. King would not be returning, which is sad, but, you know, fingers crossed. And you as a Stannington, how do you how do you feel about that? Paul King did a fabulous job on the first two movies, so it'll be sad. I'm not sure if they've even named a director. I'm very interested. I hope that the level of uh, the Florence Pugh... Have you, do you know about this? How she's dating Zach Braff? <laughs> I believe that ended. <laughs> that, oh, thank goodness sad to hear uh Um, i mean yeah sad to hear (laughs) (laughs) um but no she 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 has a history of interacting with paddington on social media what i believe they made marmalade together (laughs) um so i'm hoping that's a sign that she is going to be in paddington 3 uh my best supporting actress winner for 2019 florence Pugh to voice uh paddington's love interest question mark <laughs> i was thinking more like the the movie star that's a villain in all of them uh i mean they made marmalade together anyways we know that this is what you all came into this swamp I mean, episode like, wanting to hear a there's not a ton of meat on the bone <laughs> Like, especially when we have already given the con- the appropriate context. Well, I never talked about how John Costanza letters the entire series, which is cool because he also did all the lettering for uh, the Alan Moore run. Yeah, and he was also really good friends with Jerry uh-huh. and Elaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. <laughs> you were ready for that. I wish I could have, uh, like, put a put a bet down before we started recording <laughs> that George Costanza would be referenced in this episode. You, sh- you should have put it in an envelope. I should have. Uh, if only. Anyway, they kidnap Heather. Uh, she does not respond well. <laughs> Takes an entire issue to come around to the idea that this could be profitable or beneficial for her or to warm up to the idea that this person might actually be able to assassinate my father for me yes basically the whole issue 12 is just sort of them them talking kudzu shows up to the usda agents in a panel that i can only describe as racist <laughs> this is cam and coley has taken over at this point right i believe so i meant yes. to look it up looks, his, yes. uh, his creds i'm just looking at the it's like it's like the, there's always it, the teeth are very prominent like he likes sort of drawing faces sort of like hollowed out especially yeah, it's like extremely stylized without a doubt but yes this this panel i don't even want to get into <laughs> the specifics of it um also i like that kudzu is never named <laughs> like officially when he's first introduced we're just meant to take from her saying kudzu as he appears behind her yeah but that's what that means yeah Wow, he's done, he's worked on a lot of stuff. I thought I recognized his name. So I have a problem that there's three artists who have done a fair bit of Marvel work that I always mix up. 
and those are Stefano Caselli, Marco Cicchetto, and Giuseppe Camincoli. <laughs> Uh, right. the three the three guys with like italian c names yeah who i who i get crossed up a lot but he so he has worked on just to cover the highlights a lot of spider-man stuff 44 issues of hellblazer i did not know that some star wars stuff especially darth vader avengers academy he apparently worked on the war of the realms uh event series that was from a couple years ago that was like a big thor event i thought i recognized his name from something else that i can't remember now what it was well he worked on 52 huh. oh cheers oh fantastic four that's what it is his name is on the spine of one of my uh fantastic mm. four books that i scrape my eyes across every now and then and Thor, Thor event is one of the COVID vaccines. Uh, uh, not he bad. He worked on Thor event. He, he worked on Moderna. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, so basically, this whole issue is just a conversation about it's. It's so we're sort of relitigating the whole moral quandary that has sort of defined the book. Yes. And then, yes, this is where we find out that Tefe has agreed to assassinate Big Bob Strand. So yes, and then we sort of get into action. I really like the... So after that issue, issue 12, I really like the three covers that come after that. Uh, issues 13 to 15. Let me I just believe those I are the find. David Mack covers. They're like yes, kind I of watercolory and collage Yeah. Yeah. And they 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 always like have someone sort of framed in the background. Mm-hmm. Like in the first issue, it's... I don't know who that, that's supposed to be, actually. It's someone smoking a cigarette. And then it's like, I know in one of them, it's like young Kudzu, because we had that flashback scene. Anyways, I, I like them more than other more than art. More than Glenn Fabry. <laughs> other art that I've seen in this <laughs> certain, certain art that we could name, but we'll choose not to. Yes, yeah, certain artists that will remain nameless. Yeah, he's, uh, he's cool. He, like, around this time... So he has a creator-owned series called Kabuki that he does like all in this style. Uh, that's really cool. He did like a fill-in arc on Daredevil where he created. Do you have you read uh, Brian Michael Bendis's Daredevil? No. Okay. So he created a character who, uh, like Bendis, has come back to the well on a few times called Echo, who is deaf but has like uh, what's the name for it? Like photographic reflexes. Like if she sees it, she can do it. Mm. And, uh, like and a his... taskmaster. Yeah, exactly. I think that's her thing, at least. Uh, it's been a while. So those are those are two things. And then he did the covers, I think, for pretty much the whole run of Alias, which was Brian Michael Bendis's creator-owned series. Uh, no, not creator-owned. Um, Max, Marvel Max series about Jessica Jones, where she was introduced. Right. Later adapted into the Jennifer Garner series of the same name. <laughs> if only. It is weird how there are two alias properties yes. <laughs> around the same. It's like how it's like how there was there a TV adaptation of Powers? Yes, there was, and it was airing like direct to PlayStation, if I recall oh. correctly. <laughs> it does appear to be a PlayStation Network original series. Um, that's very <laughs> funny. But then there's also there's a TV show called Power, which is oh, also yeah. like airing right now more or less hey wait isn't that the the like denzel washington movie or uh, jamie fox movie oh no, no that's, that's project, project power project power right that's a pretty good movie have you seen that no it's you know it's watchable good stuff apparently 
he like has fire powers is joseph gordon levitt in that yes joseph gordon <laughs> thank you for bringing that up joseph gordon levitt is the is the lead basically weirdly huh. he's from new orleans uh he wears <laughs> a uh he wears a saint's jersey <laughs> at oh. one point yeah. While he's working undercover. Uh, what's the name of the... Is it Dominique Fishback who plays the young girl? Yeah, she's really good. What were we talking about? David Mack? <laughs> Marvel Max? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, their uh, adult line. Anyways, yeah, David Mack, good artist. Primarily works on Kabuki. Has a very distinct style. Again, watercolory slash uh, collage are kind of the two hallmarks that I I think of with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool guy. <laughs> cool. As far as I'm concerned. No, I I'm, I'm a fan. I thumbs up to him in my opinion. So which he comes on with issue thirteen, thirteen or fourteen? What? Oh, I don't know. That's <laughs> again like we talked about this last time. No, it's it's issue thirteen is the issue where it's the it's this is the tree martyr issue oh right 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 yeah so this is like a weird sidetrack that we spend two issues with like a a girl who went up in a tree and refused to come down it's kind of dark and was like murdered by the tree but i i don't fully understand what the oh right so the tree well spoilers the tree murders her because it's better it's a better it's better pr for the tree (laughs) if she dies rather than not dying yeah he's the tree is all about the clicks um and he knows that a dead girl gets more clicks than a living girl even if it puts him personally at risk see in this issue she kills an entire restaurant full of people uh, Tefe does? Oh, no. no, Agent Romero does. Agent yes, Romero yes. does. Right, because Where... they stopped at the diner for like five seconds. Yeah, I tracked her to a pancake joint. Mr. Pancakes. Sure. That's and then what I it's believe called. You. <laughs> I believe you, don't worry. And then after they basically say they don't, she didn't say anything about where she was going, she kills them all. Mm-hmm. And yet she doesn't kill Georgie, who had direct contact with her. But yeah, so there's this this two-issue little arc where the tree murdered her, as you said. Uh, but it does also introduce the coolest thing in the comic, which is that when people fire guns at Kudzu, his vines go out and catch the bullets. Yes, that's good. Uh, Kudzu is really cool. Kudzu <laughs> is a say. cool and uh, underutilized character, sadly. Yes, I was going to say underutilized as well. I would, I think he, he would be a great guy to just bring back in a, in a random book. If he weren't so dead. Well, yes. Unfortunately, he's dead, and there's no way to bring back someone who's dead in a comic book. Especially not a supernatural by nature character. Especially especially not a plant. (laughs) But yes, and then then it turns into the environmentalists are holding Heather hostage. Yeah, and and Tefe. So basically, the I guess the point of this whole like mini sidetrack thing is to be like people suck, plants suck. Tefe doesn't like anybody. She's over it. Right. But but it's like that's that's the theme of every issue kind of, isn't it? Like that yeah, there's kind no, of that it's like a moral quandary that there's no clear answers that there are positives and negatives to what they do. And so so this sort of just gets resolved. Um 
Yes, Pilot, well, Pilot shows up and defuses the hostage situation by shooting the gun out of the hand of the environmentalists. Right. And yeah, also around this time, Pilot becomes like the most incredible rifleman in like human history. Uh, He was he's been previously established as already the most incredible rifleman in human history. He's been established as good, but then I, it's I, it's I think it's the previous issue or issue eleven where he shoots the earpieces off of the oh, secret yeah, service yeah. agents. Like <laughs> I, I feel like that, that. that's yeah, the first like... one of his feats where it's like, oh, like this guy isn't just a good sniper. This guy's like dead shot or whatever. Yeah, like he snipes the wires of their like little uh, Agent Smith headpieces. Yeah, that that was funny too. Uh, not I mean not to get so nitpicky about this because ultimately in comics i feel like guns are their own superpower kind of like how kung fu is but it's just funny to think about how he was a marine sniper and then when you think about like how marine or like how how like military sniping actually works and it mostly involves like just lying stationary on a ridge and like pre-sighting a specific spot so that you know exactly how it's gonna gonna go to imagine having to like make those adjustments yeah anyways all that to say you're right yeah, that he, like he becomes like super position. super sniper to be able to make those adjustments like by eyeballing it yeah and then like we'll like shoot things out of people's hands or shoot people's hands a lot (laughs) get a lot of hand shooting (laughs) hey did you ever see gemini man no oh a lot of hand shooting in that one no well he he shoots oh this you would love gemini (laughs) man and it's so infuriating (laughs) that you haven't seen it there's a there's a scene right near the beginning where he is like on a like doing a very sniper thing like on the ridge checking his sight but it's like a like it's it's a real like call of duty 10 years in the future kind yep, of love it like advanced technology <laughs> idea which is very much in our wheelhouse i feel like mm-hmm. um and then he yes he snipes a guy who is on a moving train mm. and it's it's very good love a good sniper sequence you ever seen Come american sniper I haven't actually. <laughs> haven't I imagine that's some good sniper sequences. Ever it seen uh, the baby. Mark Wahlberg <laughs> movie Shooter? No. Have you ever seen the Gerard Butler movie Gamer? <laughs> uh, uh, we're going wild in this one. But yeah. to answer well, your question, on. no, I have not seen Gamer. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen Shooter. But Me yes, neither. anyone who anyone who wants to come over pandemic it's fine <laughs> just do it anyways if you want to come over i have gemini man on 4k blu-ray so 60 hold on fps that's what What's i was up? gonna ask do you need a special tv or no <laughs> like I, you can just ooh. play it in 60 fps yes i can i played it on 60 fps on my old tv which was like it was a i think it marketed itself as a 4k tv but it was really more like 1080p mm-hmm. but yes it played in 60 fps and looks good I really want to watch it on my newer TV, <laughs> where I imagine it would look very good. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll do that today. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, anyone who wants to come over and watch Gemini Man can. If you haven't seen Gemini Man, you should definitely definitely watch it in 60 FPS if you have the capability. I'm not sure what the digital options are like, but you got to watch it in high frame rate. It's the way it was meant to be seen. Um. Hopefully one day technology will advance to the point that we can have a 4K 3D 60 FPS, which is how I saw it in theaters. It was so good. But anyway, then I we really get the Kudzu to talk about... origin issue. <laughs> no, hold on, hold on, hold on. We need to go back here because we find out that Todd Orange had his first sexual awakening to the Fruit of the Loom oh, guys. Oh, yeah. And, well, and imagining a three-way with Mr. Peanut and, and the, the Jolly, Jolly Green, Green Giant. 
ah, this is like, and like, this is just such like a the gay guy is a deviant, <laughs> like <laughs> Mr. Peanut. <laughs> Listen, Mr. Peanut has status uh, and money and power, and those are attractive qualities for a lot of people. Yes, I mean, like, I, I will say, like, the Jolly Green Giant, I get. <laughs> like that, that, that guy's seems... shredded. Well, he is shredded. He's huge. <laughs> Like I would under like I would understand as like a joke in a comic book that someone would fantasize about the jolly green giant, <laughs> but Mister Peanut, he's okay. Hold on, here's here's a real important question for you. Mm-hmm. How tall is Mister Peanut? Oh boy, <laughs> is he is he six inches tall? Is he like three feet tall? So I'm looking at a screenshot of Mister Peanut, his long suffering melancholy friend Benson. And a, on a, sled. a mouse playing the electric guitar. <laughs> they all seem to be approximately the same size. <laughs> so we're saying Mr. Peanut is the size of a mouse. Yeah. Hey, when you Google Mr. Peanut, do you see the Mr. Peanut goes to war image? Yes, of course you do. <laughs> it's like That's... one of the first things that pops up. Also, well, but really, when you search Mr. Peanut, the first thing, the number one search result is a cnn article headlined mr peanut is dead for some reason but of course now he's back i believe he's teen nut now teen nut or maybe he became back to fully aged mr peanut he went from baby nut to teen nut i'm gonna ruin my google algorithm for all time by google (laughs) searching teen teen nut nut. yes (laughs) deadly allergies teens (laughs) deadly allergies teen plus nut uh, yeah, he he has base. He has a baseball cap. He has freckles. But I believe there was also a recent issue where he just like popped into having a monocle, something like that. I do- doesn't Baby Nut have a monocle? No, Baby Nut just has oh, an oversized on. top hat. I believe. <laughs> oh, what's up? I am now seeing that Baby Nut had a birthday oh. at the Super Bowl. I believe. <laughs> sure, his one year. His one yeah. year birthday. His one year birthday. And Mr. Peanut's Twitter account tweeted, "I'm officially 21, my friends." Before you ask, yes, I was just a baby. What can I say? It's been a nutty year. Now someone get this peanut a beer. Hashtag. Beer nuts? (sighs) Make my birthday nuts. What? (laughs) Hashtag make my birthday nuts. Why wouldn't it be hashtag beer nuts? And the associated clip is of Mr. Peanut getting ID'd at the bar, (laughs) (laughs) turning over. Turning over his driver's license, and then the bartender knows about the commercial where he fell to his death and came back as a baby and questions how he can already be 21. Right. But he's still served. <laughs> this is, uh, I can't I can't engage further with Mr. Peanut, a personal obsession of ours. Um, when you said he served, I thought you meant like in the military. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, so, <laughs> he's on his GI say, Bill. It's so messed up that nuts in our country can go to die, but they can't Uh. get a beer. (laughs) That's personally, I just think that's totally nuts, Uh, so to speak. Hashtag beer me a nut. What what is the hashtag? Uh, Make my birthday nuts. Yeah, close enough. So, anyways, then we get Kudzu's uh, <laughs> yes, origin which issue. Is actually, I I was interested by this. Yeah, I mean, probably it's... my favorite issue of the uh, of the run. Maybe I like that they didn't spend too long with it. It's in a it's in a sort of monochromatic. I I wouldn't even say it's in like a woodcut style. It's pretty much just in monochromatic, which is about how like 
he's a he's a great samurai but he can't be like a the greatest samurai because he's afraid of dying mm-hmm. so he makes a deal with a vine to become immortal yes essentially yes um he he becomes immortal in exchange for becoming like the like you said the assassin on retainer for the green but it's like who so who is making this order is this just a person who is sort of acting alone or is this like the green as a concept that is granting him this power it seems to be the like collective spirit of all kudzu vines Hmm, so it's not like the green so much as like a faction of the green i guess you could say right but why but why do they have the power maybe they're like the greens dia (laughs) ddi please uh (laughs) ddi it's also how you know how good your phone screen is um that's something anyway he's after tefe because she was betrayed um yes she betrayed the green is essentially the idea right yeah by by refusing to eliminate all life on earth barnabas and pilot play catch (laughs) classic they seem to be really they're really strong (laughs) oh this is also the issue where they introduce the box yes richard kelly's the box with frank langella (laughs) And James Marsden. They introduce Cyclops himself. The box, which is used to separate uh like plant powered people from their connection to the green and has yes. previously been used on Tefe. Yes, this is where we sort of get some backstory that she was I it's so hard to figure out exactly what the timeline is, but so at one point is this after she was sort of taken away from Swamp Thing? So at some point, I believe later on when they have their like confrontation, Romero tells Tefe that uh, Abigail like willingly turned her over to the government. Right, sort of to keep her safe is the idea. Yeah. Oh yeah, the box also invented by the Floronic Man, right? John Woodrue. Jason Woodrue. Jason Woodrue. Yeah. That's what's his Apparently. deal. So he was like the villain by which the anatomy lesson, which is like the big retcon uh, issue was done and then was sort of like the first villain in alan moore's run um but he so he also is like a plant man (laughs) his his body is like made of plants to a degree but he is and always has been human so he he did like lots of ddi or i guess he didn't uh, now I'm now I'm trying to remember what the DDI was like in those days. I think he worked for the DDI and was brought into autopsy swamp thing when they thought that he was Alec Holland and had been killed and was the one who then subsequently discovered that he just was like a plant that thought it was Alec Holland. Right. So he made that discovery, informed the DDI's director, General Sunderland, about his discoveries, and then Sunderland was like, haha, now I have no further use for you, you stupid plant. You're fired. <laughs> and then in revenge, on his like way out, he like dethawed Swamp Thing, who was being like kept on ice, and then overrode the door controls so that he would wake up, discover that he was never Alec Holland, and then kill Sunderland in a fit of rage, which all of which he did. And then so there. <laughs> There's this like recurring thing throughout Moore's run where there's like these yams that grow on Swamp Thing. And if you eat them, you have like a psychedelic experience and experience (laughs) like a connection to the green for a a limited amount of time. 
So I believe if I'm recalling correctly, what happens is Woodrow eats one of the yams and then has like this like transcendental experience of being connected to the green. And he's like, this is where I belong. I'm a plant. I'm part of the green. And also like what the what the green wants is so actually this this connects uh to maybe one of the overall problems that i have with vaughn's swamp thing but anyways he after his transcendental experience with the green becomes convinced that what the green wants is to eliminate all life on the planet like all all animal life including humans and then he like sees Swamp Thing as like a prophet. When Swamp Thing finds out what he is planning, he basically confronts him and tells him that the part of him that wants to like destroy is his like animal brain working and not not the green's will, and that what he is interpreting as what the green wants is actually him imposing his own sort of like twisted views onto the green. And then Woodrow's like, No, I don't believe you, you're a traitor. And then Swamp Thing is basically like, hey, dum-dum, if you kill all the animals, who's going to provide the carbon dioxide that plants need? Right. And then Woodrow is like, oh, no, I'm a dum-dum. <laughs> Off to Arkham with me. <laughs> basically, we have already seen in one of like the most famous Swamp Thing stories, Swamp Thing on the other side of this issue determining that the death of all non-plant life on Earth is not what the green wants and is actively detrimental to the Green's interests as far as survival goes. So to have this, the overarching storyline of this run be the Green wants to destroy all animal life on Earth, or at least all human life. I guess it's yeah, just all human life. Yeah, that's a pretty big distinction because, like, yes, because, I mean, we've all seen Life After Humans or whatever that documentary is called. <laughs> yeah, is that like a History he- Channel series? Probably. The idea that humans are causing negative impacts and that eliminating them would sort of allow nature to return to its natural balance makes a lot more sense than destroying all animals and they like all living things with blood mm-hmm. <laughs> uh would <laughs> i was going to say living things then i remember that plants are also alive so yes it does make a little more sense there but another thing am i supposed to know who the person is that they do their experimenting on and cut her open i don't think so i had no clue i assumed who this it was, was a reference okay so i, I just... assume that that's correct as well i have no clue who it is yeah so now looking back through the issues i'm like yeah i guess they did never show the face of the director but i never clocked it because like why would you show half of the face of the director and, <laughs> and have that be a reveal for something, like seeing what the top half of her face is? But I guess they did find a way. Yep. I, I thought it was going to be revealed for a lot, because like, I did notice that they were very deliberately concealing the identity of the director. But I was like, why would they? I don't know. Sometimes in comics, they like conceal a person's identity only to then reveal that it's like not someone we already know. <laughs> right. Um, so I was like, is it that or is it someone we know? And if it is someone we know, who could it be? And the only person I could come up with was Abby. <laughs> it's like, this right. seems like it would be crazy. And I would just like potentially already know about it. And people would like revile this run. <laughs> <laughs> because she has a big flower on her she jacket. She does have also. a big flower on her jacket. Uh, I mean, she's clearly blonde in some panels, but sometimes it's sort of like, is she blonde or is she white haired? Yeah, for me, it was like, yes, I sort of saw that they weren't showing her in her entirety. But that seemed more like a like, oh, she's sort of the faceless person behind this whole operation rather than having like 
who she is specifically like being some kind of reveal right because i i just couldn't because they 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 show enough of her that it seems like her <laughs> who who she quote unquote really is would not be a reveal oh uh the so the other girl who's being kept in the box is uh Susie who is one of the people who... So Neil Gaiman, ha, or Gaiman had a run on Black Orchid, and Susie was the titular Black Orchid, and one of hmm. several characters to bear that name. That's what that's about. Okay. Um, and then Agent Romero shows up and kidnaps Mary Conway's parents. Mm-hmm. Doesn't slit Does, their throats. No, this ugh, this is just like such a... The, the way that the parents get treated is sort of like... <laughs> emblematic of the whole run to me mm-hmm. um the issue ends with agent romero saying if you don't shut the fuck up i'm going to feed you her ovaries and it's like a that's not anything anyone would <laughs> ever say like you you just specifically made them over so it's like those related to sex and like mm. now it's sex and violence <laughs> the x-force storyline <laughs> great reference i assume the, listen the x-force heads are loving it sure craig um, kyle and chris yost they wrote uh chris Thor, the dark world <laughs> american sniper yes may he rest uh-huh. yeah and then and then at the start of the next issue we see oh they're naked and in the For, trunk well yes in the trunk is fine in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> where else do you put your prisoners Sure. In a in but, a four door sedan. But why are they naked? It's never explained. Because Romero than, is twisted. Yes. Other than like having it be like it's so twisted that they don't even have any clothes on. She's gonna freaking torture them. <laughs> That's impossible to do to people wearing clothes. But yeah, so they're captive, and then yes, everything sort of comes to a head at this point. Tefe, they've sort of enacted their plan where they yeah they're preparing the the ground to assassinate strand at some event it's a, it's a rally <laughs> or uh he's making an appear he's gonna be somewhere yeah and heather is going to approach him in disguise he, face bent yes and with her face meld and he will automatically be drawn to her because she is a young woman mm-hmm. and then either she will kill him or pilot will snipe her or him Mm-hmm. is that the idea pilot yeah pilot's like the safety net for in case she somehow doesn't manage to kill him right because she has a gun yeah but then right at the exact worst time tefe gets stabbed by kudzu who has finally shown up yeah and it it, it prevent like it undoes her face melding somehow which yes. doesn't really make sense i don't think with the way we understand her powers to work but I think it makes sense that she. It, we sort of get the idea that it has to have an active sort of element on her part. Maybe not instantly, because she sort of talks about how if she makes the trees grow, they'll die within, like, days. Yeah, but also, like, does it require constant concentration? Or does his, like, when he stabs her, when Kudzu stabs her, does it somehow sever her green connection? Um, I'm not sure. But I mean, the the fact that he does have his special sword. Yeah, how the swords which... work is a little confusing. I believe at one point they are like at the end they're turned over to Agent Orange to go and use them to destroy the DDI <laughs> question mark yes, to, to tear down the government. Which yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a all... big. What are you talking about for me? All we really get from the swords, I think, is, like, they can kill anything. Or cut anything. Including 
you know, plant spirits organizations. For some reason, Pilot can't get the shot, which makes no yeah, sense can, given what... he can shoot their ear wires, but he can't, uh, he can't get a clean shot off on, uh, on Senator Brand because Heather is right in Strand. front of him. Right, Strand. Abigail Brand is who I'm thinking of. Sure. Um, so yes, Kudzu, he does his work. Yes, and then, yes. So Kudzu is then planning to decapitate Tefe, but then his sword gets shot out of his hand by Pilot. <laughs> Who could do such a thing? And then, yes, and then we go back to the naked parents mm-hmm. who are like, they're they're just drawn in such a way. It's like, like these are real human bodies. <laughs> like, they have fat. They look gross when they're all tied up on this chair. And then, like, talks about, like, Romero talks about their flabby genitals at oh. some point or something to that effect. Yes. this is So basically, this is like, this isn't the conclusion issues, but this starts to... It's the climax. Yeah. The, it takes a lot of pieces off the board. At the end of this issue, Kudzu is dead. Kilroy, Kilroy is, is dead. dead. Ba- oh, no. Barnabas... But Pilot, Pilot and Tefe and Barnabas have split up. No, this, well, it's, it's sort of two issues. Oh, yeah. That's, that's right. It's at the beginning of the next issue. Yeah. So... So Kudzu kills Kilroy and then gets decapitated by his own sword, which Tefe wields, which is a, a cool moment. Yeah. Uh, Barnabas looking after Agent Romero driving away and saying, who the hell are all these people are exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that uh, I feel that sentiment of my own self. <laughs> yes. It's sort of the Thanos thing of I don't even know who you are where it's like, oh, right. We've been following these characters this whole time, but none of them really have a connection with each other. <laughs> Agent Romero gives Tefe directions to an old DDT factory, mm-hmm. <laughs> which don't do DDT as we're all familiar with. Uh-huh. The classic well, sketch. Hold on. That you, that you filmed and performed oh, in. Was that what it was called? Don't do DDT? It was something that was said in the documentary, certainly. Right. I Polly the Peregrine. Yeah. Yeah, it was about the effect of DDT on the peregrine falcon population in Canada, which was negative. (laughs) Um, Here's my question uh, before we move on from this issue. So Kudzu is decapitated with his own sword. The head is shown to be obviously still alive. And human. Dangling plot thread that's just never resolved? Like, we never see him again, right? So what happened? No. Is the USDA (laughs) have custody of his severed head? Kudstidi? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, yeah or, I or is that so. like think, he's he just dies slowly because yes, of the I think magic. It's like his death throes. But also it's true that we don't really see Right. He gets his head severed and then it like reverts slowly back to human after being severed and then dies. Yeah. Or just like his head is severed, but he's still alive for like three more seconds and can say a line. Yeah, which is a beautiful, terrible asterisk. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no asterisk at the bottom. I assume that in the it's in he's yeah, in translated Japanese. from Japanese. <laughs> I I've made the same connection about the same but... thought. But yes, there's not even like like you couldn't have a panel of him like decaying into the earth or anything like that. I just like... want to go off on the overall design of this trade like i guess it's not that important to like i I don't know the missing star thing i assume the original issue had uh a little box that actually said translated from japanese which by the way deeply unnecessary (laughs) like just put it put it in the like the little triangle brackets we all know what it means but also 
this is like totally unrelated and such a huge nitpick, but I was looking at the contents as listed at the top because like every every trade inside like the first couple of pages will have a bunch of information, including like the full credits for the book, um, like the year of publishing, the print number, things like that. And then they always include a thing that says originally published in single magazine form, assuming that they were in and then like basically lists all the issues that are in it and this one lists swamp thing 10 to 20 and vertigo secret files and origins number one now isn't the first issue in this book number 11 yes they definitely got the. it says 10 to 20 it says 10 to 20 and then yes that's wrong and then the material so i guess those pay like the pages at the end are maybe from the vertigo secret files and origins Yes, because the the story because the story was we already uh, yeah. seen in the first volume. But the yes, I I actually looked into this. the The files, yes, are from that little that little uh, special thing. The special is just like it's like that story, then all the character pages, and then there's a couple of like excerpts from old Swamp Thing comics. There's like an Abigail Arcane comic that gets touched on briefly and then like there's like an essay or and a timeline and things like that like oh, timeline just yeah of like, like 45 all years thing ago, history of like 45 years ago alec holland is born 40 years ago abigail oh, arcane is born I see. so like the in-world timeline yes interesting uh which i did not dive deep into but i was curious as well what the uh what exactly that entailed so wait so in the secret files were those pages at the end about um like constantine and swamp thing and abigail brand yes, all from those that are too. all those are all in there as so well. who's michael bonner uh he's wait. he's so the the all the files on kudzu agent orange kilroy pilot and then i i believe in the first volume we had like tefe and barnabas and somebody else anyways those ones are all written in character by agent romero question mark yes but and then so yes, and then the Swamp Thing ones. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, How the and Swamp then Thing ones are the like other ones are more... from Michael Bonner, and I'm just like, who's that? <laughs> oh, I think that's like literally the guy who wrote, like them. the editor of <laughs> something. Yeah, or, uh, Comic Vine will know the answer. No, it is. It says in the contents that's written by Michael Bonner, so I'm pretty sure he is indeed a person with one credit: Vertigo, Secret Files, and Origins, Swamp Thing Number One. That's very strange. Yeah, like he he also he's also credited with writing the timeline. Okay, so he is a person, not a an in-universe <laughs> character. Yeah. So the the whole plan to assassinate Strand falls apart, and Tefe. So Tefe and Barnabas are like, we're going to rescue the Conways. Pilot is like, you guys are demented. I'm going to rescue Heather. They split up. As George Bush once said, I love Conway. <laughs> As George Bush once said, mission accomplished. She also tells Barnabas that she's not really a plant spirit. And he's like, I know. Yeah. I, so Which is not true. Yeah. Well, which part? That he knew or that she's not a plant spirit? That she's not a plant spirit. <laughs> like, she's just like, I'm just a girl. I think she means in the, like, immortal, like, has, like, always existed sense that he might be right. conceiving of her in. Right. Yes. And then we have Heather and the director of the DIA. DDI, please. <laughs> you said DIA earlier. <laughs> Run back the tape. Right. So, yeah, he, he gives the backstory, or sorry, she, Madam Director, gives the backstory of Tefe being in the box previously. 
Yes, this is for some, this is a reveal for some reason is the best way I can put it, which is that they she was in the box before on a military base and they like made eye contact with each other and Tefe apparently envied her freedom. Yeah, a lot of a lot of psychoanalysis. This is also a lie. Wait, that that she the saw her in the box? No, she did see her in the box, but the director is lying and saying that Tefe wanted to oh, kill oh, yeah. the senator that that Tefe was only like using Heather because she wanted to kill the senator herself, even though that was not even Tefe's idea <laughs> in the first place. Yeah, this this setup seems like um, I would compare it to like <laughs> the the Lake Laogai basement in Avatar or like uh, in Call of Duty Cold War, the room that Alex Mason is being questioned in about the numbers. Like, there's some big like That's brainwash. Black Ops, oh, sorry, you're right, Black Ops, original Black Ops. Um, there's like some big big brainwash energy going on here with like the bright lights and the like suggestion of ideas that are like almost true but not actually true uh tefe finds out yes i'll quote here that her rents each have five pounds of c4 sitting on top of their flabby naked genitals naked yes. genitals naked, <laughs> those naked <redundant>. jennies <laughs> Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like Nike Jennies? Um, and then this tremendous bit where Romero has an ECG strapped to herself. <laughs> I like will... this. I cannot tell a lie. I did like this. I sort of liked it, but it's also like that. The the line's like that was my vibrator. It's just oh, such. Yeah, uh, that, that's gross. Yes, that's the part that. Not even that it's gross. It's just like so, so clearly just like, what if it was something if that was like about <laughs> sex? It's like he, they, he really cannot get away from like throwing some sex in with his violence. Well, yeah, like I, like I said, it does frequently feel like a comic that's more concerned with like being a, a mature rated mature. comic than it is a comic that needs to be rated mature but uh, but yeah so she she says she has this setup uh, and that if tefe gets in the box everyone's going to be fine barnabas will walk away the conways will be fine she gets in the box and a romero immediately shoots barnabas in the head <laughs> it's just like was obviously going to happen yes. this is this is like very or it feels very vani this sort of like immediate i don't know if shocking is quite the right word because i wasn't like <gasps> when i read it but it's like kind of surprising like how quickly <laughs> she unveils it to be a total lie yeah it's it, this this does feel like a kind of hallmark scene and as much as like we're not really fans of romero or uh the use of the vibrator in this particular case i this feels like the kind of scene that he will later get like a bit better of a handle on and execute very well uh, like i think we get a lot of this sort of thing in saga that in particular yeah, is what I, i'm thinking of i, I do sort of I, I do like the idea that it's like of course i'm going to do this like there's no there's no reason for me to be nice like after i already have power over you which is but then it's also like that just like makes your hero look so stupid yeah because it's ob because like yes she was very obviously going to do that yes and so but it's also like i mean what is she supposed to do like i guess if she didn't do it she was definitely gonna <laughs> well not really because it was her freaking vibrator oh right right well yeah like she wasn't <laughs> she, she was, wasn't yes, gonna blow up if she her. died but if she didn't get in the box she was still gonna kill the conways and barnabas yes but probably i don't know i feel like it would be, it would be better for everyone to just get blown up than for her to be end up in the box that's true 
Anyways, we get Agent Orange's big heroic moment. Another Todd bit Orange. that I did like. Even though he's gay, he can actually be useful sometimes. Yeah, although I, so I, I liked the moment, but also I was like, why didn't he just shoot her? Yeah. Because <laughs> he I has her, shooting her absolutely dead to rights <laughs> with his gun out and has time to get six shots off, none of which hit her. And she mocks him for missing. But of course, he was actually aiming for the object behind her the box uh, and setting Tefe free but I'm like you're like 10 feet away from her and have time to get six shots off <laughs> before she even like really finishes reaching for her gun why wouldn't you just and shoot her yes, in the and, and she also has a gun yes. which she could use to fire back at you but yes and then we get the the great I, I did really like this the uh, agent what's her name agent Romero giving her the agent like Romero. we're two sides of the same coin uh, yes she says how are you any different from me to which Taffy replies, I'm not a corpse. And we get <laughs> that Kamikoli art. <laughs> in a, yes, this, see, like, this is where the art style is useful, I feel like, because this is so <laughs> it's nasty. disgusting. I don't understand why her, like, fingers and feet are blowing <laughs> off. <laughs> like, she got squeezed so hard that like, her, leg, her, her like, leg shin bone, out her her shin bone blew off her foot. I can, or maybe it's like she's using her plant power and her flesh bending power. Oh yeah, maybe that makes more sense. But yeah, I do like the idea that's like she's it's like she's, she's squeezing the middle of the tooth of toothpaste so hard <laughs> that the toothpaste is coming out of both, both ends, sides. which are her brain and her feet. Yes. And of course, uh she's instantly reduced to a skeleton, so we have to assume <laughs> that <laughs> it was all oh, the panel so the last panel of the next page, look at Romero's body. <laughs> it's like a pile of intestines. And a, like a skull. <laughs> it's, but it's not like a complete skull. It's like the jaw and the skull are separate. <laughs> and her coat's still there. Good stuff. Anyways, Barnabas somehow, despite being shot directly through the eye, survived all of this long enough to... Much like Kudzu. Yeah. Survived long enough to teach Tefe a, a valuable lesson. Madam Director reveals her true identity and we get this, the iconic last line of dialogue from madam director uh which is because sweetie if you don't lie uh on behalf of strand i'm going to cut off your tits and leave you for the dogs this is a thing that people know about or are you just saying that it's iconic i'm just saying that it's iconic (laughs) right again again this is again our the violence has to be about sex also and then that's the last we see of of either of them i guess i okay so here's my question at the time this was written, so this is the third last issue. Yeah. Or the, no, this is the fourth last issue, yeah. right? Did he know that it was going to be canceled, like, imminently? I think he probably did, yeah. Okay. It's, I'm just curious. It's pretty because, rare like, that you don't find out with enough lead time to tie things up. Yeah. And I think they do an okay-ish job of tying things up, given the circumstances. But, yes, I was just curious because of the way that it's it's totally left dangling, as and maybe there's a thrown off line somewhere in this issue that neither of us caught but no it's it's yeah it's like in the next issue pilot comes back and she's like what happened with heather and he's like i don't know i saw her on tv calling us terrorists so then i was like never mind but it's still so like i like heather is now back in her father's thrall and he still plans on causing another holocaust and destroying the world and like no one's gonna do anything about it i guess not they have to go to africa yeah spoilers (laughs) 
yeah. How do you, how do we feel about the the? Oh, I guess the, there's like the conclusion issue. Yes, we're not quite done yet. Um. So yes. Oh the, no, this no. Sort this of... is the, the the last page of the conclusion issue is uh, Swamp Thing showing up. Yeah, but then there's the the whole issue of Swamp Thing. Well, yeah, which but is that's the... not part of Red Harvest. That's uh the horribly it's called last of the loose ends yeah so the that is a reference to the more run his first issue is called loose ends in which he like very quickly ties off all of the dangling plot threads from the previous run and then the like second last issue of his run is called loose ends reprise where he like ties off all the dangling plot threads from his own run so it's like kind of swamp thing tradition to do like a loose ends issue and yet also at the same time when i saw that it was called last of the loose ends i was like you don't deserve that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 like you um, don't get to do a loose ends issue <laughs> yeah it's like i was just listening to a podcast that was talking about alien versus aliens versus predator requiem that was <laughs> <Okay>. like <laughs> And well, it's like it's like Alien versus Predator is already like comparing itself to Alien, which is like a bad look for it. Uh-huh. And then you're trying to compare yourself to Alien versus Predator, <laughs> which in turn is comparing itself to Alien, and that's an even worse look. But yes, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess this isn't literally part of Red Harvest, but in a in a general sense, it is wrapping up a lot of loose ends about the characters and that we have seen over the course of the book up to this point basically Mm -hmm. i do like that swamp thing shows up and the first thing she does is just blow him up (laughs) so that she (laughs) can finish resolving the plot threads from like the the red harvest stuff before he comes back (laughs) yes Uh, and again she like we said she gives the swords to todd orange and daphne and daphne (laughs) i was told they could destroy anything maybe even an entire organization yeah that makes no sense (laughs) And they kind of, like, acknowledge that that makes no sense. And then, yeah, Swamp Thing reappears. He sort of... So, basically, they are sort of talking out all of their problems. Yes. She, like, tricks him into saving a bunch of people. There's, like, some weird... I'm not sure whether it was the colorist that messed up or what, but all of Swamp Thing's speech bubbles are supposed to be orange, and they just, like, stop doing it for a while, or, like, there's, like, six or seven speech bubbles that he has that aren't orange. But yes, and then Tefe, she sort of, she says, oh, there's this whole thing where there's like a, a flood that's coming in a Chinese village. Yeah, this is, she's a little messy. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I like the sort of issues that they're talking about, but it feels a little bit like a lot to pack into one issue. Like the idea that Swamp Thing is, doesn't sort of more actively help people because he claims because he doesn't want humanity to rely on him. Mm-hmm. But Tefe points out that, like, that basically says that's a cop-out and that you could do something, but you're scared of doing the wrong thing, which is definitely something that she has been wrestling with throughout this. Um, And then she sort of does this reverse psychology move on Swamp Thing where she causes a flood and then prompts him to stop the flood Mm -hmm. with his own power. Which is like a good trick, I guess. <laughs> she, yeah, she knows uh, knows his swampy mind. Uh, and, but this, like, yeah. So I, I don't know. This convinces him somehow that actually it's all chill. Yeah. So like, yeah. The thing I think the main point is that she didn't want to meet up with Swamp Thing, or and she stopped looking for the Tree of Knowledge. She explains 
because she doesn't want to she didn't want to hear the answer that the only way to succeed was by destroying humanity right which she would not have been capable of doing and then yes she goes home with pilot and then yes and then oh yeah and then something's else just like by the way go to africa <laughs> and so then they go to africa they do go to africa and that yeah so this is basically this is the a two issue mini sort of arc that wraps up the series mm-hmm. um so we uh, it's this is sort of cool stuff yeah, I, like, I like i it. like it generally yeah um it's the first issue is called rootless but i originally read it as rudels <laughs> don rudels uh, is yes, in the house it's, it's weird because it's it's wrapping everything up when i obviously i i would assume in the within the last two issues obviously he knew he had to wrap things up but then it's also weirdly like a reset issue like it feels very much like a this is the end of an arc we're starting a new arc and so we're going to sort of like put the characters in a new situation reintroduce them Mm -hmm. it starts with pilot narrating and he like gives the full backstory of like I'm Pilot, she's Tefe, this is what we do, mm-hmm. this is like I our whole I bet you're wondering deal. how we got here. Yeah, and to which the answer is, they have been going around Africa being white saviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a not a great look for Tefe in a lot of ways here. I mean, obviously good that she stopped bad things from happening. Less good when she makes herself into a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Tefe does do blackface in this, uh, in this comic. But yeah, when I when I first read this part, I was a little like, oof, I don't know about this. That it's basically, it literally is them going around Africa stopping a bunch of bad things from happening. But they do, it is intended to be a commentary on that sort of idea for sure. When, what is the name of this character? Do you know? Wish. Wish? Yeah. Okay. Do you know what what's her deal? Uh, no, I don't know what her deal is. She does magic. She does African magic. Oh, so this magic. is not like, this is not a character. This is it just wasn't, like... It wasn't a character I was familiar with. Yeah, she doesn't even have a page on the plot synopsis page, or the, you know, comic information page that I'm reading. So I guess, yes, she really does only appear in these two issues. I thought it was like a character was appearing. Like, you know, it's like, Satana's here to talk to us about magic. Yeah. No, I, yes, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't familiar with her. Right. So it's just some kind of African sorcerer, sorceress. Then I guess I can confirm oh, that she says she's she appears only in these two issues. Yes, she says she's a friend of Constantine's. Yes. So that's something. But yes, and then <laughs> Tefe does blackface, like we said. She basically says, like, "Why are you in Africa? Why are you trying to be a white savior?" Um, to which Tefe says, then I will be black. And then, <laughs> and fortunately, she's just like, that, basically like, I should kill you for that. <laughs> yeah, this this issue uh, does like a big BKV style thing of being like, here's a history lesson about something that I assume actually happened that I found interesting and kind of have like kind of structured my story around it. Right, which is about like German colonization. yeah. Yeah, it's like a little, I don't know if I want to say overwritten per se, but he does this kind of thing like a lot where it makes me wonder whether like he he heard about this and then structured a story around it or if he had a sort of general story idea and like went hunting for the right thing to kind of like match up. But uh, yeah, it's like this integration of like real world history slash like, yeah, I, I mean, in this case, it's mostly the, the world history stuff it, to like tie into the story thread that he's got going yeah it's just a it's a it's a well he goes to a fair bit 
Yeah, and it does, it, it can be a little uncomfortable at times. We talked about this, I think, in the last episode, but just the, the way to, he, like, associates, like, real-life atrocities with, like, superhero things is, it does kind of rub me the wrong way at times, for sure. Um, yeah, it's it works a lot better, I find, when he, like, he'll he'll do something not like really comparable to this particular thing but he will he will inject superheroes into world events um in ex machina in a way that i think works a lot better because it's not like a superhero established universe like it doesn't take place in the dc universe having this stuff happen in the like dc universe proper where this ostensibly takes place yeah i agree tends to be like "Eh." yeah it's 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 in the same camp as like Doctor Doom crying going, over nine eleven, crying, <laughs> crying at nine eleven, yeah. <laughs> shedding a tear through his mask. Oh, that's that's so funny. I'm sorry, it's so funny. But yes, and so Tefe, she like enters the green more or less, which is, but it's like not quite the green. It's like an ocean. It's like a death ocean. <laughs> Yes, it's where it's where the bodies are buried, so to speak, and she speaks with like the spirit of the Herrera people. Yes. And they and they basically say if you want to come and get the knowledge of good and evil, you have to kill yourself <laughs> or you should kill yourself because you like have killed innocents and all this stuff. But then she says, "No, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to work in order to make up for all of these atrocities that I've committed." Yeah, she like states her new raison d'etre now yes that, exactly uh, now that well, I, i'm not really like i'd like did she come to this conclusion as a result of barnabas's death or because of the conversation she had with swamp thing or like all of the above i think both and also this conversation she's having right now right but yes and that's that's another reason like it, it does feel like a reset in that way because it's like oh she has a new purpose so now the new stories can be sort of written around this purpose that she has for herself but that was not to be no and then so the spirit people give her a word in their language which she then passes on to wish and it's revealed that it means tree and so she is now allowed to go to the tree which of course is in the swamp come on (laughs) and also uh, she's only allowed to go to the tree if dot 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 question mark adam has She gives his blessing also. Wait, what? So, like the she they she, they go to the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil and encounter these ape people. And Pilot asks right. where Chuck Heston is, which that's <laughs> 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 uh, true. She does do that. Uh, yeah, Chuck Heston. Anyways, but we basically learn that these are not, in fact, apes. They are like pre-human. They're the missing link, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that they are, like, immortal as a result of not eating from the tree, question mark? No, they ate from the tree of life. Right, that's right. Which is, like, obviously they say, like, it's uh, it's actually a curse. Oh, oh right, because they, the, so they have the tree of life and the tree of knowledge both. Yeah, it's the Garden of Eden. Yeah, but except the Garden of Eden is a myth. This is, just happens to be a garden where the, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil are. Certainly. Anyway, so I'm referring to the, their leader as Adam because he's, like, the first man. Right, yes. Well, Ryan Gosling was the first uh, man. Yes. Um, yes, and then they, so then there's this whole sequence where she does finally get what she wants. She eats from the tree and she sees 
these two hypothetical futures. So yes, the idea is it that the tree it will show you good, great, like the greatest good and the greatest evil, and then that will enlighten you. Um, so she sees a future where she <laughs> cures HIV. Yes. Going back to the Africa well again. But also has to kill Pilot because he becomes an avatar of viruses. Yes, the pestilence, the virus elemental pestilence, which doesn't the four horsemen, don't the four horsemen already exist in the DC universe? Uh, Good question. Or is that I, only a 52 thing? I think that's only a 52 thing. And then like in, in Marvel side, Apocalypse right, regularly yeah. like recruits various mutants to serve as horsemen. Right. I don't think, yeah, and I don't think he's necessarily supposed to be a horseman per se. They just are borrowing the horseman's name for... Yes, Pestilence. Yes. Yes, and then, but then she is not satisfied with this image because she's basically saying that curing disease is actually a bad thing. <laughs> the, the main, I think the main problem I have with this is that the idea is, I think, meant to be that, like, two futures are presented and neither one is, like... Perfect. ...agreeable to her. Yeah. And that's why she has to, like, go off on her and choose her own path. But the first path isn't really that bad. And no, it's with the objectively only... far better than the second Yeah, the path. only reason she rejects it, really, is because she's like, oh, pilot dies. Yes, and, well, and oh, because... Oh, right, and she says, what effect she... would eliminating disease have on the environment? <laughs> Yes, classic bad thing, eliminating disease. Which, like, I like, I guess that's true, but you know, come on. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's fair to say, like, I mean, in both cases, it involves her like kind of artificially disrupting like the cycle of life. Right. Yes, that's true. Which is why it's strange that that's the greatest good. Well, but whatever. It's really up for the viewer to decide. Yes, true. And this. <laughs> The, uh, sorry, this one could also be the greatest good, where she is pregnant with the Antichrist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's going for, like, some ambiguity here as far as, like, one is the greatest good for humanity, and one is the greatest good for the green. But she's like, right. I don't really want to choose one at the expense of the other. Yes, but also, like, in the in these visions that she's having, which is, we haven't mentioned yet, that her, so it's like her older self is talking to her and explaining to her what has right. happened in the future. And the, and the first one, she like kind of looks like her mother. She has like a flowing robe and long hair and all this stuff. Yep. And then in this one, she's just drawn like horrific trailer trash with like a pregnant belly that is like sticking Popping out, out of, of her shirt. Top. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and she has, she, she is has pregnant been... by deceiving John Constantine. And yes, like, and she changed her appearance on to... her face when she reveals this is like, ah, this one must be the greatest good you can accomplish. Her biological father, John Constantine, which we have not mentioned, uh, or they do not mention rather. Yeah. Uncle John is how this older Tefe refers to her. Yes, in order to sire the Antichrist and destroy all of humanity. Uh, yeah, and then she and the Antichrist live happily in the green. <laughs> yes. And of course, the Antichrist has Daphne, so it's chill. Yes. And and Noel is also there. Yes, Noel is also there. Who's appeared in one issue <laughs> at this point. And the other, well, the other one is the, um, like, the tree who asked her to save the, like, elder tree in the, like, Barnabas intro oh, issue. Oh, right. I see. Okay. That's cool. It's it's all her green friends. No Kudzu, yeah. though. He's, uh, he's done. Oh. 
But yes, and so then the, the idea is that it showed you the greatest good and the greatest evil, and you have to decide which one is the good one, which one is the evil one, which seems like a problem that is exclusive to Tefe. Like, I can't imagine <laughs> what what this guy right. found that caused him to be like, which one's good and which one's bad? I can't tell. Yeah. Like, I feel like if you or I went and ate it, it would be pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, yeah, it feels a little bit like a retread of the Swamp Thing Crisis on Infinite Earths tie-in, which involves, like, he he and, like, Etrigan the Demon and Deadman and the Phantom Stranger have to go and confront the living embodiment of evil, basically. Uh, or not, not evil, but, like, I can't remember how he phrases it exactly. It's, like, anti-heaven, basically. Classic. <laughs> yes, and, like, each, each like opponent who's trying to stop it from going and destroying heaven that gets like absorbed into it and and it asks them what the purpose of evil is uh, and through doing so like learns more about humanity but ultimately like rejects them uh, until it gets to swamp thing who has like been so he he has his first encounter with the green which is kind of similar to this quest to like find the garden of good and evil where he basically he asks them like he, i've seen all this evil in the world what am i supposed to do about it and they basically describe like the cycle of life to him where they're like this beetle eats the grass and it dies to sustain the beetle who is like crushed by you know some like a human's foot and its right. corpse like you know feeds the ground and like gives nutrients to the soil and basically they're like where what in which which step in that process is evil like where does evil enter that equation basically and he's like oh what am i supposed to do about this so he encounters this like anti-heaven thing <laughs> and it's like what is the the function of evil and he basically is like evil gives good savor and it's about like the contrasts and and as a result when the like anti-heaven gets to heaven instead of destroying it it's like heaven is better and also hell is also better because now like they each have incorporated like just enough of each other so that paradise paradise has a little bit of like melancholy to it so that you can appreciate the like goodness of it all and then hell has like just enough of a, a taste of pleasure that the suffering is that much worse and everybody loves it sometimes gumby shows up yeah so gumby <laughs> Gumby might appear to rescue Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, and yes, and, and then that's essentially this that concludes the series, um, which is basically just, you know, that I'm rejecting both options and sort of forging my own path. Mm -hmm. Time for me not to appear in comics anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so yes, I was curious. what. So this character, uh -huh. Tafe Holland... What happens to her after this point? Uh, does anything happen to her is the realist and truest question. I don't, I genuinely don't believe that she does have any appearances after this. Whoa, wait, <laughs> really? I am going through her comic vine page. Yeah. I'm seeing that she appears in like the volume four run, the, uh, who's gonna call it? Andy Diggle. I'm seeing he appears, she appears as like a secondary character, I guess, in some issues. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't read it, so I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know she's definitely not the like main focus of another series again. Uh, oh, Noel appears in his run, apparently. <laughs> big, 
big Noel fans. Um, yeah, I, I think she generally like sort of fades into obscurity at this point and and doesn't really have any further impact on either the Swamp Thing lore or the like DC universe at large. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm seeing. I'm just sort of scrolling through some screenshots of the 2004 run and i guess she's a bad guy in this one or something she's like she does appear like she appears to be a fairly significant character during this during this uh story arc at least but but i don't know who but, can yeah, say that's... i'm sure when we get to andy diggle we'll <laughs> dig into yeah. it our andy diggle miniseries but yeah that's a little sad to me because I do think it's an interesting character. The the sort of the addition of flesh bending <laughs> makes her her powers pretty interesting and obviously, you know, she's quite the anti-hero, very sort of morally gray as I think mm-hmm. the entire series is meant to be. Well, yeah, described um, as amoral in the final like pages. Right. Um and I yeah, I think that that sort of gray area would make her interesting to just incorporate into other people's stories like you could have her appear as a villain or appear as you know like a like a classic sort of anti-heroic character who sort of is always serving their own interests rather than operating on the side of good or evil but apparently <laughs> that's not to be that a lot of this does seem like i mean i'm mainly thinking of kudzu because he's cool mm-hmm. but seems like it could be ripe to obviously maybe not revive for their own series but just characters that could be reincorporated into the mythos especially since it seems like swamp thing tends to be revitalized pretty regularly yeah he's got like an undeniable enduring appeal and yeah they keep coming back to the well but they just don't seem to be able to really make anything stick well the the New 52 one ran for a pretty long amount of time, right? Yeah, it did. It, it, yeah, it did do like 50 issues. Well. Uh, I don't know if it made it quite that far. I'm seeing issue 40 was the last issue. Yeah. Uh, in which, yeah, no no Tefe in that one. Right. At least not in the Snyder run. I haven't read the Soul run. No, I don't. I'm not seeing anything to suggest that she is doing that. <laughs> so overall, uh, thoughts and impressions? What, what do you think of the uh... latter half of the run and the run as a whole? I, uh, I I guess I like the this half a little more than the first half. I I mean my favorite part of the like they're probably individual issues. Like I I really like I like the first issue one of the most of anything that we covered mm-hmm. here. Um I I you know obviously I like that it's a more cohesive story and that there seemed to be a lot of stuff going on in every issue. Like, it seemed like a lot of the first 10 were a lot of setup for this sort of extended story arc. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it was, there was some payoff in that sense. Um, I think it, it, the writing did not really improve for me. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of like sex and violence for its own sake. It feels like a lot of sort of reiterating the same idea of this moral neutrality or moral dilemma that Tefe finds herself in. So definitely not, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't even call it good, but there were some parts that were interesting for sure. Mm. Yeah, I I would agree. I think you can see where there is potential, but like, is this a must read run even for Swamp Thing fans or like the most hardcore Brian K. Vaughn fans? I wouldn't say so. I think we'll see him within a, a few episodes mature quite a bit as a writer. Uh, and maybe like, you know, 
he has i would say he has some like slightly bad habits that it, does he ever really shake them maybe not we'll possibly talk about this more when we get to saga but i think he Whoa. i think he will benefit or well yeah i haven't read his uh ultimate x-men run which is i believe what we're moving on to next but i think he benefits from having a bit more of like a firm editorial hand in general so i assume that having to constrain himself a little bit i mean the ultimate universe is still kind of like the edgy side of marvel in a similar way to um what like max and vertigo are but still ultimately like generally has to conform to that t slash like t plus rating so i think we'll see a bit of the unnecessary edge come off uh there and position him well to yeah dive into why after that which again like i don't think the issues that we're sort of running into here are gone when we get there because it's really it's like a couple years later that he starts working on why like top so he's still a young writer and i think he still has some of the same habits but yeah, it, uh, it it just seems to work better when he is a little bit working more with like his own characters, his own stories, <laughs> less less of a convoluted continuity to have to wrestle with. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because truly, if I read this sort of sight unseen, my thought would probably be like, this could be a good story with a different writer. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just sort of him writing within the confines of what he thinks that like they're asking of him or if it's just he's not very mature as a writer yet or what but it's definitely it's hard it's hard to see like it's not even something you look at where it's like this is messy but there's a lot of potential like it feels so of its time yeah in like a sort of nasty way yeah that it's hard to it's hard to love <laughs> i will say yeah i would uh, i would certainly agree that it's hard to love and I think, I can't remember if I said this on the last episode or not, but I did read an interview with him where he basically said, I was writing every issue of Swamp Thing like it was my last because there like there was a chance that it could be. And not just like his last issue of Swamp Thing, but like the last comic he would ever write. <laughs> right. Um, and so I think there is a bit of like, you can you can sort of like feel the sweat and <laughs> desperation in some of it sometimes. Not, not desperation per se, but I think he's trying anything that he thinks will like boost sales or keep sales or like you know keep keep give him the opportunity to write another comic <laughs> um and keep his career going which i think is somewhat to the uh the detriment of the work and i think that when he has like a bona fide hit on his hands and why and as is a little bit more comfortable that like i'm not constantly fighting the cancellation threshold <laughs> it improves uh, a fair bit yeah oh so Anything uh, anything that needs adding here? Did this win any awards? Uh, no awards to the surprise <laughs> of no one. This is like the Brian Michael Bendis kind of big advent year. Not not necessarily in terms of like his series racking up the awards. He is the best uh, writer winner at the Eisners and currently is writing Powers, Alias, Daredevil, and Ultimate Spider-Man, which is an absolute like murderer's row of books to be working on all at the same time. Like four insanely popular and good <laughs> good books and he's writing them all concurrently yeah crazy crazy that that's uh, what's going on at the moment yeah ben bendis is the guy that i like i think i talked about last episode like the sort of like the mid-2000s crop of writers who sort of like were were the big names at that time like he is chief among those like him with marvel and then jeff johns with dc i feel like we're sort of the 
the standard bearers for their respective companies around like the mid 2000s right yeah i think we're still a little ways away from jeff johns really like hitting his stride as far as like recognition and influence that's green lantern basically right or is it he does a flash thing as well flash jsa as well i think he's already writing jsa at this point which is a a pretty popular and and well-received run but not uh not getting any eisner nominations here yeah those are those are kind of the ones that really set him up and then he does infinite crisis in 2006 which like really you know at that point he's kind of the architect of the like dc continuity in a similar way to what bendis is doing at marvel right exactly yeah jsa i guess starts around this point and then and flash as well and then green lantern rebirth is 2004 so i think that's sort of definitely he's heading in that direction yeah certainly so yeah no no big recognition for vaughn at this point uh the sales numbers the last i think number uh 11 sold like 12,000 copies, which, yeah, you, I don't think you would get by on 12,000 copies today. I'm surprised he got by on 12,000 copies then. Uh, and then number 20 still sells just under 11,000. So there's like a small but dedicated reader base. Like he's not seeing huge attrition or anything, but it's just not enough to sustain uh, an ongoing comic. And probably for the the best for all involved it is canceled with number 20 yeah so i suppose uh i suppose that is all that needs to be said about swamp thing volume three may may she rest (laughs) may she rest Hmm, Catherine hahn was in the walter mitty movie i've heard people really like that movie. i also have heard that and it it, it, yeah it surprises me maybe it's like kind of inspiring i'll watch it and i'll give a review next week (laughs) please you don't want to put that behind the paywall (laughs) (laughs) that's true uh will it be walter liddy or walter shitty Uh, (laughs) walter liddy is pretty good walter liddy is fine yeah that's all (laughs) very good well look out for that next week thank you all for joining us don't forget to uh let's just think of some new things that people can do like make sure you um accredit and syncopate call your parents on itunes what call your parents sure call your parents tell them you love them uh-huh. empty your recycling bin yes oh, certainly don't get me started on my recycling <laughs> uh and until next time to oh yeah to be continued <laughs> <laughs> uh, i forgot we were doing that Bye. Bye.